0: Welcome to Her Talks, a conversation on why women's health matters now, presented by Her Health Q. My name is Greta Malk. I'm the content developer at Her Healthy a global nonprofit focused on deploying medical equipment to improve women's health in underserved regions worldwide. At Her Healthy Q, we believe that women are the cornerstone of the family unit and communities at large, and when we give women in under-resourced geographies the tools they need to survive and thrive, the benefits clearly extend to their children, families, and nations as a whole. Her Talks is our quarterly panel with innovators, researchers, healthcare professionals, philanthropy experts, and more, where we discuss how we can use our strengths to achieve women's health equity. The episode you're about to hear was our third Her Talks panel, which originally aired on March 16, 2021. In this episode of Her Talks, the panelists discuss the difference between equality and equity and what that looks like in the women's health sphere. First, they share how we can use technology to close the gap in women's health care. Then they break down the financial side of equity efforts. Lastly, they ask each other questions about equity efforts in their respective fields. This episode is a conversation between three experts, Stephanie Humphrey, Dr. Missy Crockover, and Donna Westerman. Our CEO, Marissa Thayer, is the moderator for this discussion. Stephanie Humphrey brings two engineering degrees and 10 plus years of media experience to her current role as the technology contributor to ABC's Good Morning America. She is passionate about STEM, diversity in technology, and good digital citizenship. She devotes time to being a public speaker on these issues and mentoring young people. Dr. Mitzi Krokova has spent her career engaging, educating, and inspiring a community of women to achieve optimal health and well-being, as well as affecting meaningful change on the systems that impact women's health. She serves on the board of five different women's health organizations, including the Black Women's Health Imperative and Take the Lead Women. For 22 years, she has worked at SSB Solutions, a national consulting group working with healthcare clients to develop physician-driven, value-focused strategies in rapidly evolving markets. There, she has provided technical advice on women's health services. Donna Westerman is a career procurement and supply chain executive. She's a passionate leader with a 25-year track record of optimizing people, strategy, and processes across global supply chains with a strong focus on corporate social responsibility, procurement, sustainability, and diversity. She's the former CEO of the Sustainable Purchasing Leadership Council, which connects purchasers and suppliers to sustainable procurement experts through one-on-one training, peer engagement and practical guidance. Marissa Fayer is the founder and CEO of Her Healthy Q. She's a 22-year veteran of the medtech industry. Was included among the top 100 women in medtech by Medical Design and Outsourcing in 2018. A People Mavens top woman activist to watch and a recipient of the Africa Development Award in the same year. All of their social media accounts and anything you hear in this panel, including a transcript, will be available in the show notes at www.HerHealthEQ.org. her talks I am so excited to share with you volume three of Her Talks, Women's Health Equity. Thank you, and welcome to everybody who has joined us for
1: our next edition of Her Talks. Um, This is volume three, we're very excited. And we had a ton of signups, so we know that there's gonna be people coming in and out. And um, just for everybody to know, as we go throughout the entire program, um, certainly feel free to ask questions in the chat. This is a very open and honest discussion of everything. And so, you know, we just wanna, we wanna have like really important discussions. And so, you know, wherever you happen to be, if you're on the East Coast and are having your coffee and afternoon tea, enjoy it. Uh, You know, West Coast having lunch and uh, maybe in Europe having uh, an evening cocktail, enjoy it. Thanks for joining us uh, from wherever you are. And so we know you've been on a lot of Zooms and there's always a lot of content out there. So thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Marissa Fayer, the CEO of Her Healthy Q. And we are, are we are a global social enterprise focused on women's health in developing countries. And so in honor of International Women's Month and last week's celebration of International Women's Day, we thought to speak about women's health equity and equality um, from these leaders would be really a perfectly important topic right now. And I just wanted to ensure that everyone's on the same page. Uh, let's level set um, these, these really different definitions of equality and equity. And so equality is when everybody is literally on the same exact page with resources and opportunities. And equity recognizes that every person or circumstance has, is, is different. And so the right and exact resources are allocated to them to create an equal outcome. And so, without equity, there can't be a level playing field, which means that there can't be equality. And so, we really want authentic discussions here. And so, instead of me reading a canned introduction of everybody, I'd like to have the speakers introduce themselves, and uh, so you can get to know them a little bit better. So, um, Donna, you want to start us off, and then Stephanie, and then Mitzi?
2: Sure, well, thank you, Marissa. Thank you for everybody for joining in. Um, I'm really honored to be on a panel with such um, prestigious and trailblazing women um, in their own right. Uh, My background is supply chain uh, with a a number of different sectors, uh, but for the intent of the next hour, uh, my pharmaceutical background and my commitment to women and women's empowerment. So 30 years of experience in procurement and supply chain and human rights related issues and diversity. So again, delighted to be here. Thank you for the invite, Marissa.
3: Hello, all. My name is Stephanie Humphrey. I am a former engineer turned media personality and currently a technology contributor for ABC News, uh, author and speaker as well. I'm super happy to be here, super grateful for everybody that has tuned in. I know, you know, we might be all uh, catching a little Zoom fatigue these days, but you tuned in here, so we appreciate that. And I'm just really looking forward to this conversation because I, I tend to focus on on sort of the micro level of technology, how it affects individual consumers and 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 you know trends and things like that, but to have to sort of uh, pull the the camera back a little bit, pull the lens back a little bit, and think about globally how technology uh, affects health and women's health in particular has been a really uh, interesting uh, sort of. Line of research for me in, in preparation for this talk, and I'm just really excited to hear from my fellow panelists uh, around this issue as well.
4: Hi, um, I'm Misty Crockover, and again, also delighted to be here with uh, these three uh, incredible women. And I thank you, Marissa, for inviting me. Um, I'm an internist by training in previous practice. I led the creation of the Iris Cantor UCLA Women's Health Center as its founding medical director, and then went on to Humana as vice president of women's health. A few years ago, though, a, com- a number of companies that were focusing on women's health actually consulted me for my clinical expertise, and I realized this was the next way to really impact on women's health and to move the needle and drive those important innovations that we need. And so I literally wanted to be invested in the space. So I joined Golden Seeds, which is an angel investment organization that funds early stage women-led companies. So um, I'm one of the co-chairs of the health sector group, which looks at everything from life science companies all the way to wellness and consumer products in the health space. And obviously my sweet spot is women's health. Um, with respect to health equity and equality, I'm looking forward to this discussion because um, you know, I've always been immersed in the differences between women's health and men's health and, or women's health and everybody else's health um, and the paradigms, if you will. Um, but I never really thought about it in terms of equity and equality. So I thank you for asking that thought-provoking question because it helped me to reframe some of the things that I have uh, spent a lot of time uh, thinking about.
1: Yeah, that's great so we're excited to dive right in and uh stephanie i'll ask you even though you said you're you know <laughs> you're super into tech and you want to look at a, a different way i'm going to ask you a tech question though you know we we've noticed especially in this past year how crucial technology is 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 to our mm-hmm. lives and how it can bridge gaps and obviously a lot of the work um related to equity and equality is bridging these gaps so can you maybe just talk us through some of the ways that technology can help women achieve equity um, here in the US and and potentially what that means also throughout the world.
3: Right, right, sure. So uh, I was super ignorant of the fact that,, um, you know, it was only 1993 when the FDA, said that women could actually participate in clinical trials in this country. I was like, we weren't doing that before. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't make a, whole, I mean, I, I, I sort of, in my research, I, I get why uh, that, that exclusion had been made but it, it still just didn't make sense um, that you would exclude half the population from development of, of, of life-saving um, you know, drugs and, and techniques and procedures and, and whatever. So I think the, the first way that technology can start to close that gap is through data you know, we just need more data. And, and the, the area of data science in particular, I think, can really move that needle um, as far as bringing in more of that information from women-led trials or, or, or trials that include, uh, you know, uh, women's outcomes and things like that. So, you know, firstly, let, let's get the data going. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I think, you know, the, the funding for um, the technology, that's sort of the second piece of that because you know, you have this whole space, this whole new space, this FEMtech space, if you will, um, that is still really underserved and underfunded. So if we can get that piece of it um, in there as well, then I think we're we're well on our way to closing that gap. But I think the data is the most important piece.
1: Yeah, and everybody's been using telehealth. So, is that um, something like one of the big trends that you're seeing, especially um, you know, in a lot of the work that you do?
3: Oh, absolutely. Especially now, we're we're all sort of you know still quarantining and 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 not able to have those in person visits, and and that's going to be something that we're going to see remain in effect. I don't I don't think you know once we all have a, a shot, a vaccine, that, that telehealth is gonna go away. I think that's gonna be something that's gonna be uh, still very much a part of overall health. And I think that'll also help close that gap as well because you, you now you have another tool in the toolbox, if you will, um, that can help you know, get women the the care and and the information that they need to to get that gap closed as well. So yeah, telehealth is going to be huge. Um, you know, digital connected products uh, will be huge uh, in just monitoring and 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 tracking again back to the data tracking. You know, tracking heart rate, tracking blood pressure, tracking diabetes. You know, in addition to women's you know reproductive um, health issues. So we'll see gadgets and devices, we'll see a big surge in data science around, you know, women's women's health information, and and we'll see that telehealth continue uh, to um, to grow. Yeah,
1: that's really interesting. And so Mitzi, actually as a physician and an advocate for women's health, like what are some of the trends that you're seeing related to women's health? And and more importantly, are they trending in the right direction? Um, or have we, as a result of the pandemic, have we kind of slid back down to where we were before? Um, you know, obviously we're always hoping for better outcomes. Um, so
4: what have you started to see? It's, a, <clears throat> it's a, always a double-edged sword, right? So in terms of the pandemic, women have really experienced um, the brunt of the uh, of the issues. They're more likely to be in um, as essential employees and certainly healthcare workers. They're also most uh, most liable to be the ma- managing the household, managing the children. And in fact, what we're seeing in terms of different indices is that mental health issues have increased. Stress has increased. Um, the uh, exposure to COVID um, for them has increased. Um, jobs have been lost. Jobs have been, professional pathways have been, um, Derailed. In fact, it seems like we've lost a generation of progress, and what that does in terms of health and women's health is that those individuals may lose their health insurance and their family's health insurance, um, access to care, even um, social determinants like homelessness and, um, uh, you know, all, and, and food insecurity. So those have an impact on women. Um, and then the other piece of the pandemic that is really um, Uh, inequitable in terms of women is intimate partner violence and substance abuse, which sometimes go hand in hand. So these are real issues that we are going to have to address so that that women don't fall through the cracks and that we can get them back on. But on the other side, this has been, um, all puns intended, a very fertile time for women's health innovation. And I think that uh, we've, again, seen a just burgeoning of women's health innovation, mostly led by women, not all, um, and probably propelled by the pandemic in terms of the need for the remote monitoring and the telehealth, and and also the consumer demand in terms of wanting point of care and wanting to be able to go and get over-the-counter medicines or even diagnostics and wanting care when they want it. and also for their families, so uh, those are all good things. And then the third piece, perhaps, is this increase in. And re- in, in, as um, Stephanie talked about data, a lot of these companies are generating their own data. So where we did not have answers or information or research, we're actually getting it in real time. And I think that's going to have a lot of positive um, repercussions for the uh, for uh, women's health. Um, and then the other piece is that there's also a growing um, acknowledgement in this women's health space, um, both from the practitioner and also from the entrepreneur, is that women's health is more than just reproductive health. So we're seeing focus on um, aging, menopause, um, uh, in you know genital urinary issues, um, cognition, bone health you know, again, we're we're heart disease, which is one of the obviously the number one killer um, in women. So I am very optimistic, I guess, I will just leave it at that.
1: Well, that's good. Um, And Donna, you know, I wanted to pivot to you on the topic of sustainability and corporations. So, you know, there's a lot that corporations can do um, to to further women's health and and also our sustainability, that corporations have, but also sustainability for all of our life. And so how are corporations kind of, how are they dealing with this? How are they thinking about it? Because it's one thing to, of course, write a check to support, you know, organizations such as our Q or, you know, our other ones that are around, but there's, there's other sustainability that works. And, and what are corporations thinking about um, r- related to this topic, honestly?
2: Sure. Well, sustainability, and that's why I love my colleagues when they fell back on, you know, the the data science, the data analytics, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. Data drives sustainability, but data also drives innovation and it drives commitment because if it doesn't get measured, it really doesn't get done. And when you look at whether it be, you know, a healthcare network, because so many of the smaller hospitals are now becoming conglomerates of larger of larger hospitals, and they have much more purchasing power and a much stronger voice in dealing with their suppliers, as well as corporations that provide whether it be the finished goods or the services to hospitals. But at the end of the day, regardless of the sector you're in, whether it be life sciences or you know CPG corporations, when looking at sustainability, you know the, the underpinning of decisions are always the same. It's about coming up with sustainable solutions that are going to bring in cost avoidance, that are going to bring in cost savings, that are going to ensure continuity of supply. When we think about what went on during the pandemic with getting PPE equipment and states having to uh, negotiate against each other and outbid each other, that continuity of supply uh, was certainly an issue, Um, but also patients, especially in healthcare facilities, they do want to make sure that, you know, hospitals and companies and organizations that are in their community are doing the right thing. And when you look at the numbers now that are being generated, you know, by healthcare facilities, the impact that they have, you know, on the national GOP is staggering. I mean, we're looking at a, an, uh, an additional increase of 20% in the healthcare industry by 2026, um, just on healthcare spending. And when you look at sustainable means within that, it's it's quite complex, because you can go from one end to logistics and to energy saving methodologies, to actually pushing the envelope with with suppliers to come into um, the organization with innovation, with strategies where they can recycle, they can repurpose. There are companies that deal with operating rooms that they do have incentives and rebates for hospitals. So although I believe healthcare facilities and hospitals, of course, want to do the right thing, there's got to be a financial component to it as well. And I think this is the challenge that COVID has brought because all of a sudden you went from things that were going to be recycled or could get multi-use wear that now had to be disposed of. So companies that are aligned to the sustainability development goals, um, right now, the numbers are saying that this one year, corporations took a five-year step backwards. Um, so lots of challenges, you know, in, in that space and sustainability, you know, for healthcare. But w- lots and lots of wonderful opportunities and innovation possibilities.
1: Tana, that's really staggering that we've taken five years step back when we've just really kicked off the SDG, you know, <laughs> goals, and you know, just a few years ago. And the fact that twenty, you know, twenty thirty is quickly approaching. And I wonder if there's ways that we can, you know, really exaggerate it um, in the coming years and that sustainability could, could, uh, you know, duplicate itself and and we can kind of try to make up some of those, some of those gaps because
2: that's horrible. It's almost going to be like a coalition mentality you know like the, the hospitals coming together you know and looking at the needs of their own community but looking at the goals and potentially the cost savings and cost avoidance because the more they save and the more they avoid the better care that they can provide you know increase staffing increase you know um, quality and quantity of care so those cost savings and cost avoidance numbers are incredibly important when I looked at some data, we're looking for the healthcare industry with taking on sustainability—you know—methodologies uh, of saving five point four billion dollars over the next few years. Wow. So the data supports innovation. It's it it supports creativity, and it, it it also breeds an environment where hospitals and healthcare facilities can really engage in their communities.
1: That's incredible. No, that's really incredible. Thanks, Donna. And. You know something that I think all three of you have touched on is is the word femtech and and technology. And so Mitzi, you spend obviously a lot of time as an investor, and you're somebody that I for sure look up to as an investor. And so you know, femtech is big, fun word, and and I'm I'm so happy that you said that femtech is not just you know, it. it, it what I always say is it's not just one organ, like yeah. health is an entire body system, and it's not just one, you know, one or two organs. And so, you know, but there's a lot of buzz. Everyone's talking about femtech and, you know, especially in the investing industry and it has incredible growth potential. Um, so how can we actually democratize investing into women's health? And it's something that Stephanie touched on, something you touched on, you know, and, and it dovetails also into a lot of, you know, sustain probably sustainability. So what if? how, how can, how can we, Democratize uh, investing into women's health, and, and almost like make it more popular instead of just just a buzzword. Because these buzzwords like come and go. And so, how can we make this sustainable?
4: Well, first of all, you know you've keyed in on one thing. It is a buzzword, and a lot of people, even in the femtech um, uh, uh, satellite uh, community, really don't like the word. Um, So, you know, let's just talk about what it is. It's women's health, right? And because not all of it's going to be so high touch in terms of tech. Some of it's going to be, you know, programs or product or or services and that kind of thing. Obviously, most of it is going to have some kind of technological component. Um, But, you know, it's interesting because... If you think about it, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? It's 51% of our population are going to avail themselves of this. Um, It's not niche, right? Um, But unfortunately, even now, most of these companies are women-led and women-led companies are not getting the funding um, comparatively as um, as companies led by men. It's getting better. There's more organizations such as Golden Seeds focusing specifically on this issue, but when you get into the higher um, uh, funding uh, categories like VC and and private equity, it's just not there. And you'll hear a lot of these um, entrepreneurs say, "You know, I had to pitch my, you know, speculum to, you know, a a room full of men, and you know, there was just not getting it right." And Can't fault them, um, but at the same time, and I so I would su- suggest that uh, for entrepreneurs, um, you know, don't try to force it on anyone. There's a lot of other opportunities and and ways to do that. And I also think that again, revenge is the best, success is the best revenge. And so what's gonna happen and we're seeing it is that these companies are going to start being very successful and and it's going to be, you know, investors want to make money. And so um, that's what's going to drive this. And what we really need to do though, as you pointed out, is really get those companies um, a chance and, and this early funding. But on the other hand entrepreneurs really need to, to dot their i's and cross their t's at the same time like any other um, innovation they've got to have a they've got to really identify a true pain point and many of them have and it's usually their own pain point that they're now bringing to the market because others have and that's what's really great about it and then they have to have a market they have to have a revenue stream they you know a barrier to entry you know to, to deal with the competition you know all those kinds of things that any entrepreneur has, um, but I think that the, the challenge is just really um, getting a foot in the door and, and making the case for why this is important.
0: Can I can I add a follow up to?
4: Yes, there? great.
3: Um, so, in the in the companies that maybe have have approached Golden Seeds. Uh, with these sort of femtech ideas, for lack of a better word, um, was there any sort of commonality in the storytelling around their pitches that that uh, prompted you to invest in them? Just maybe some some key something that that uh, that a, a founder could take to another you know investor and and make sure that they included that part of the story or included that into the pitch um, to be successful with other investors as
4: well. You know. That's a really great question, and so two things, you know. Again, we're usually the demographic. So um, when someone presents something that has to do with bone health or um, urinary incontinence or you know uh, aging skin, you know we get it, right? Right. Um, or even for so that's so that that story resonates with us. We understand that, um, or a medical device that's that's solving a problem. Um, and then, as investors, we're still using the same um, metric. You know, is this a good idea? Is the is there a market for this? And so, the invest the entrepreneur really has to make those cases just like any other entrepreneur.
2: Right.
4: Um, and uh, so, you know, again, once getting over the hurdle about what the it is, you know, and making sure people understand why it's important. Then everything else has to to uh, be as competitive as any other um, uh, right. company.
1: Well, that makes sense. Stephanie, is there any tech that you've seen that um, that really you know is standing out for women's health, or ones that could be you know widely adopted and yeah. might be able to um, you know? I made a list. <laughs> <equity>. Oh yay! <laughs> Great. I'm glad around. we're recording. Because
3: I, I want this list. <laughs> the, the one thing that I that I that I found, which I thought was really cool, it's a it's a device called Cardia. Cardia, is spelled with a K, K A R D I A, and it is a uh, portable, portable, personal EKG. So I think about what the Apple Watch can do right now, and the fact that the Apple Watch has you know an EKG built in, or the 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 top tier Apple Watch, I'll say, because I have the SE that does not have that. Um, but but it costs four hundred dollars plus, you know, and and that is. That is definitely cost is always going to be a barrier um, to entry for for anybody, especially in developing countries. And you know when you're talking about you know paying four hundred dollars for a smartwatch, Cardia starts at eighty nine dollars. So you know I just thought that that huge difference in, in, in price point would really make that something um, very attractive to the individual or, you know, maybe a church could could purchase that and, and have that in, in place for, for its, its congregation or, or something like that. Like, you know, it's a lot easier to get together $89 than it is to get together $400. So I did the price point of that particular device um, and the ease of use really stood out to me because it's literally just this little um sort of thing like a rectangle with two metal contacts that you you put your finger on and, and the app measures uh you know measures all the EKG measurements. I'm, I'm not a doctor, (laughs) but it. it, Very great. (laughs) But but it was it was the price point, the portability, the size, you know, the convenience of that of that device that really really stuck with me. Um, I love Cleo, which is getting a lot of traction right now. That that whole idea of a family platform, I think we're gonna. I think we'll probably see a lot more of that, uh, just in terms of companies looking for ways to number one add to their benefits packages to make their company more attractive to prospective employees but to also better manage the employees health that they do already have to to keep them happy to keep them there uh, to keep them productive you know it, it's a win-win on both sides of that so I thought, I thought that idea of of sort of family support a family support platform uh, if you will that that companies can implement to make sure that that the entire family is is having their health needs addressed was was really interesting as well um you know you got you got your nurexes you got your your thinks which you know may not seem like a tech product but but is and i think we're going to start to see a lot more subscription based um technical health related type things that can happen and 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 that speaks to you know COVID and, and quarantine, but it also speaks to people wanting that convenience and, and, and the privacy that, you know, you get when you can get something del- delivered directly to your home. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that subscription-based model tracks across different, you know, different sort of health issues and different types of, of devices. Um, and then I actually loved um, a TUSA. It's a, it's a, uh, gadget called Atusa, and then there's a another one called, um, no, that was something else. Atusa is from a company called iSono. It is a uh, portable and automated 3D breast scanner, which, you know, was, I was, you know, as I'm thinking back, yes, to we know my them, mam- actually, we know them pretty well. <laughs> yes. Oh, nice, nice. As I'm thinking back to my mammogram, I'm like, man, this would have been so much more convenient and comfortable and, and easy. Um, so I, I totally see that, you know, are you guys, have you guys been able to use that at all in, in, in the countries that you serve? Because I mean, that it seems just like a total game changer and and no brainer for uh, developing countries, especially.
1: Yeah. It's something that we're looking at. Um, okay. I've spoken to them many times. I, I I actually have one at home as well. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> I was able to kind of trial it out. So it was really, uh,
3: I really liked it. So, uh. so yeah, that was great. And then you got, you know, willow, um, which is a wearable breast pump, which again, data is a thing. So it's tracking not only, you know, it's not, it's not just pumping, it's tracking the amount of fluid. So, you know, infant nutrition and, and things like that can be, can be tracked and improved in developing countries. Um, and then Breathe ILO is a uh, fertility device that just uses your breath. I mean, you know, i haven't had to go through that process, but you know, from what I understand, it's, it's incredibly invasive, and and you know that whole idea of trying to uh, conceive can be really fraught for a lot of people, and and you know, especially when you don't have thermometers and and all the other sort of um, equipment required to to you know make sure that you're at your most fertile. Um, I thought the idea of just the breath was, was really interesting and innovative. So I'd be, I'll be uh, curious to see how, how that advances as well. But there's so much stuff out there and, you know, as, as, as uh, Mitzi said, you know, as, as folks start to make money, you know, there were a few different exits last year. Um, I think Progeny was probably the, the most um, widely known and and had the biggest exit. So as, as people start to make money, we're going to to start to see a lot more of these products on the market. My hope, though, is that we won't see the paint tax that typically comes along with it. <laughs> so, hopefully, we can we can have these products at, at price points that that don't penalize us for for being women. No, that's so true. Yeah, um,
4: I, I can add. You know, it's interesting. I was just thinking about um, the question, um, especially as it. Did, uh, deals with developing countries as um, and technology. You know, a lot of what's happening, especially in women's health, but in general um, in commercializing science, if you will, what's been really nice is that there are funders such as the Gates Foundation, such as even NIH with the SBIR grants that are um, uh, available for those early stage and clinical studies and that kind of thing. And so if there's any entrepreneurs out there, You know, uh, one of the things that we look for is was that's almost like a validation, if you will, um, that this is a good idea. And it's also what we call non-dilutive funding. So it doesn't take any equity from anybody. And um, I think that's very promising because we're seeing some, especially in the life sciences, some really important um, innovations um, in diagnostics and treatments that uh, I think will be supported in that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Donna, I, I love to kind of get your thoughts, especially, you know, you work with some of these large corporations and you work with, you know, some of the pharma companies and just, you know, general sustainability, like they even want to hear about femtech. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping the answer is yes, but do they want to hear about it? Is it something that's even talked about? Is it, uh, it you know, it does have to do a little bit in my mind with sustainability and and corporate social responsibility. And so um, is Does anybody even talk about this in the corporate
2: world? Yeah, yes, they actually are. I did want to make a a point though. when we were talking about, you know, um, women entrepreneurs, that there's also some wonderful organizations out there um, that women entrepreneurs, they can get, you know, certified as, as, you know, a woman-owned business. That becomes very helpful if companies, you know, or hospitals have any kind of subcontracting plans with the government and their numbers need to be counted. Um, sometimes that's a make or break decision with regards to what type of service providers you know, a corporation wants to hire. There is an organization called WeBank, the Women's Business Enterprise National Council. So just wanted to, to put that out there. Um, often there's, you know, a need for women to not only align with other, other women, but to really understand the processes and how RFPs work and so forth and so on. But with regards to your to your question, um, and corporations, yes, because corporations obviously have the data, you know, there we go again with the data, but they have the data to support, you know, um, who, who needs their scripts, who needs, you know, their, their therapeutics. You know, if you look at a company like Bristol-Myers Squibb or I was just doing some work with NeuroNordisk and you look at who their patients are, you know, you're looking at African-Americans, you're looking at women, you're looking at Latinos, especially at, at BMS. Um, you know, at, at um Neuro Nordisk, you're looking at, you know, type one and type two diabetes. So there is not only, you know, a, an ethical right direction that a corporation needs to go in in supporting in their, their CSR arm, but also ensuring that their technologies and their scripts do get to third world countries. You know, if you go back in, you know, the beginning of the AIDS day when there was so little known about AIDS, the company I worked for at the time, BMS, were the, was the largest drug con- uh, contributor um, to AIDS medicine in West Africa. And to be honest with you, that was actually the forefront of changing CSR from just philanthropy into a much more focused, much more deli- deliberate effort, and expanding that umbrella into sustainability and human rights. And underneath that, you know, framework of human rights is access to medicine, access to education, um, you know fair and equal pay, uh, discrimination against women. So it was really you know from a philanthropic arm that corporations then started to evolve into the CSR as we as we know today. But to answer to your question absolutely positively yes, are companies looking at women's health, especially companies that have a direct impact on it both on their on their bottom line. Um, as well as their innovation and the direction they want to head in.
1: Yeah, that's really amazing to hear, quite honestly. And so um, I I think that's probably one of the biggest ways that we're going to be all together be able to achieve equity um, is with these companies really working together with us in in communities that they probably weren't thinking about 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and, And that's how we're going to probably, you know, that's how I know we're going to achieve equity um, in our, in our
2: own country and and also all throughout the world. Um, Cameron, now, I just want to add something yeah. to that. Um, it really becomes for a corporation very cross functional right because you're looking at r&d you're looking at corporate affairs you're looking at your legal groups you're looking at supply chain you're looking at governments in other countries because at the end of the day both sides of the table have got to be an- have got to answer the question what's in it for them what are the advantages for the governments of these countries to engage with the multinational to bring healthcare right, all this preventive maintenance and bring education, you're you're infusing the opportunity for women to be bigger contributors to society. So that connection as well, cross functionally, you know, internally in a corporation, along with the government in those countries is critically important.
1: Yeah, that's really great. Um, uh, I'm going to encourage anybody who's listening, if they have any questions, write them in the chat. Um, but, um, I can, I, it's like a chat with my, my friends over here, but I'm going to let everybody else ask, uh, have some opportunity to, to ask some questions. So if you guys have questions of each other, um, I know that you've thought of a few, uh, feel free to, to ask each other. We have probably about, you know, 10, 12 minutes left, um, uh, you know, of this chat, just be respectful of everybody's time. So, um, you know, who wants to ask each other some questions? This is the fun part. <laughs>
4: I have a question. I actually have a question for both Donna and for Stephanie, because I'll just ask, I'll start with one and go to the other. Um, Stephanie, you know, one of the issues with um, any kind of digital technology is the user experience and, you know, how to engage. And especially in health, um, you know, you've got two customers. You've got the customer who's actually using the technology and you've got the person who's paying it, paying for it. And the payer wants to know that the customer that's using it is going to use it and engage in it so that they can reap the benefits. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts in terms of um, maybe is if somebody's developing that technology for women or um, if a woman is thinking about using it what are important, what are some of the important things that you've seen?
3: Well it it depends on whether we're talking globally or domestically developing countries or not because I think internet access is going to be Um, the most important thing. So whether or not that primary customer has access to the internet is is critical um, because that's gonna determine the type of of product you can develop. I mean, there are still some things I think you can do um, around SMS uh, chat, well, text message chat bots and different things like that um, that don't require uh, necessarily internet access to do. You also need to think about um, if it's a device, how it will be charged, so maybe Building in some sort of solar power capabilities uh, will be necessary for, you know, a, a Fitbit uh, or, or something that will track blood pressure and 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 monitoring something like that. Some sort of bracelet style situation that still could be used in a, de- a developing country if it had a way to be charged. So, you know, the the mechanics, if you will, of of the thing. I think you know, user experience is 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 this nebulous sort of concept that um you know is 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 secondary only to Uh, functionality and usability and, and, and what makes sense in the, in the space where you're, where you're trying to, um, to push the product. So I would think about what sort of internet access that, that primary customer is going to have. And then, you know, device wise, whether or not that device will need to be charged and how do you, how do you solve for that problem? Because it could be just a a matter of, um, you know, movement. Is something that charges it. You know, we have watches that that run on our own wrist movements. So, you know, maybe that's how you get the power to to the device or or, or things like that. So, you know, those two things I think are are the key considerations. Um, you know, before you kind of get into um, who's using it and and how they're going to use it, does it doesn't make sense for uh, for
2: the particular audience?
4: that's so simply elegant, you know, but uh, so important.
2: Thank you. Let's see, just uh, building off of that. I mean, with regards to the, you know, the technology, you know, the infrastructure and, you know, the potential impact to the infrastructure, you know, of a country is just mind-blowing, you know, to do that. But then that uh, opens a Pandora's box of, of other issues as well, right? Because you have to have people there educating people on how to use the technology, you know, the the whys, you know, and the, you know, if you use it, here could be some of the results. So some of that, but when you look at some of the successes, you know, on on what the world has done with just even regards to clean drinking water, you -hmm. know, tablets that were created that you can, you know, turn, you know, drinking water that's not fit for human consumption, you know, into drinkable water and the impact of water you know, in, in certain countries where I, I've been involved in projects, you know, just bringing in solar uh, solar handheld lights that yeah. are good for 12 hours impacted villages of women to be able to congregate in the center of their village so that they can do just what we're talking, like just shooting the breeze about how crappy their day was or how good <laughs> it was, or, you know, can you help me with this all because of a solar panel light and what doors that opened? That opened doors for teenage girls to go to school, so that if they had chores to do and they could come home with these lights, the reduction of personal violence against them because now they had a light. So you know, the the opportunity for technology to make a difference and just you know almost begin to part the seas for for young women, you know, and and adult women is just is just phenomenal. Yeah. You're very excited about that, as you can tell.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I'm when I'm traveling, I carry you know two solar chargers, and you know that's what's charging. And this is like when I go to Africa and Latin America. I mean, that's what's oftentimes charging uh, charging their phones. Um, you know, the the solar lights, and so there's tons of them. There's there's even like a soccer ball that you can you
4: know I, I was around. Say, I've yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, from
1: Jessica Powers. Yeah, it's it's great. It's um, you, know, you kick a soccer ball, it builds up all this kinetic energy. It can, it, it's like your power source for the night. You know? mm-hmm. So the kids are already kicking the soccer ball. So you, know, you might as well use it for something else. And so, um, But yeah, I mean, solar charging is the way to go. And, and you know, th- there's access from what I've seen. There's so much access. There's, there's a lot more. It's not everywhere, but there's a lot more access to power. Um, I actually have better internet in Africa than I do in New York City half the time. So um, let me, let me put that out there. <laughs> so, um, and I think that that's becoming a lot more pervasive. And, and the fact that like you were saying, like maybe there's, maybe it's movement-based, maybe it's, you know, soccer ball-based, maybe it's solar-based. Um, I think there's probably a lot of opportunities um, to, to utilize what we have naturally, uh, again, points again, to, to sustainability too, uh, on how to, how to
4: utilize this for health. I like the idea about the soccer ball because you could get in your exercise and also charge your... That's right.
1: Yeah, way to talk about health always. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Does it give you any kind of competitive advantage that the ball will go faster or something? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to look into
4: it. <laughs> so Donna, I had a question in terms of, again, thinking about, um, you know, again, entrepreneurs and, you know, they're so focused on, you know, getting costs down and making revenue and, and all of that. So that sustainability may or may not be even in the equation. So are you seeing any kind of uh, focus with respect to providers that are perhaps starting to choose more sustainable products over non-sustainable? Um, and do you ever see that happening um, in a way that that they're choosing it just as consumers are now choosing? Um, more sustainable products. Mm -hmm. You know,
2: to be honest, you know, with you, it really comes from the helm, you know, uh, of the organization and the key decision makers, because sometimes these cost savings or the impact on a sustainable, you know, decision is not immediate, right? So the ROI might be two years, might be three years. And, you know, it, it, It truly does depend on the business imperative, you know, and the space in which they sit, especially in a CPG company, right, where where the, um, the numbers and where the sustainability, you know, results are quite public. They have sustainability reports. They have shareholders that have a, you know, a distinct agenda around sustainability. So again, where it's that, you know, where it gets measured, it will be done you know, if if you have visionary key decision makers that are willing to make the investment, but know that they might be putting out more than they're getting back, you know, in the short term, but in the longer term, their their commitment to climate change or their commitment to, you know, um, greenhouse gas emissions can be really impactful, but not necessarily immediately. So yes, I do see decisions being shifted in that direction. Um, sometimes from peer pressure as well, right? So if Nike's doing it, you can rest assured that soon Adidas and Puma and New Balance are all going to be doing it. It's it's no different in in any sector, but I would, my personal opinion is that sustainability by default has got to become even a bigger issue in the healthcare area because there is A, too much innovation out there that, that is needed. There is a tremendous opportunity for cost savings, and there is a tremendous um, opportunity to have a measurable impact in the world.
4: Absolutely. I mean, the irony, right, is that um, it has a direct impact on health. Exactly, 100%,
1: yeah. yes. Yeah, for sure. So I think we have time for one more question. Who who
3: wants to give that one? Well, I'd like to ask you a question, Marissa. <laughs> oh, um,
1: forget it, we're out of time, just kidding. <laughs>
3: Oh, look at the time um so you you talked about the the need for equality to get to equity and you know I think just by default that means that some communities will have to have be better resourced or, or more resourced than others to to fill in that gap and and get everybody up to uh some level of parity has that been a a challenge for you with your fundraisers and your charitable partners and um if so so, you know, how are you addressing those concerns when people yeah. say, well, why did this community get more money than that? And you, you know, it's like you, you're, you're explaining this thing over and over and over again, but, but, but how are you addressing
2: that?
1: No, it's a really great question. And, and it's one that we, we get often because a lot of people, and we've seen it, especially with, you know, in, in respect to COVID-19 and something that we've known as an organization for a long time, but there are inequities in our own country, Um, And, and within, you know, I live in New York city within her own city, there's, there's huge inequities and we've known it. And now kind of everybody else gets to, gets to see it in light specifically in COVID-19. And so, you know, we always get asked why we're not doing work in, in, in the U.S. or in Europe or in, you know, what are considered um, first world countries and very developed countries. Um, And it's not that, it's not that we're not. Um, We actually did uh, just recently contribute to uh, a program in, in uh, Miss in Mississippi, uh, focused on women's health, and has a mobile van and drives around, and it's it's wonderful to 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 get to other communities. You know, I think in the great majority of of equity and equality, we have access in the U.S. We have better infrastructure, such as roads, such as buses, Mayweather whether trains, or you know, there's a there is more internet access and. I don't wanna say that forever because there's absolutely parts of this entire country that do not have that. But if you look at the country as a whole versus uh, other countries that are in the developing world, they don't have that. And so the other thing that we focus on is making sure that women have access. So again, while our laws in the United States are not perfect, uh, nor in Europe, um, they are far better and equitable than so many other countries. And so we want to make sure that there's access to equipment and access to healthcare services. Just like we're talking basics. Um, we're talking about maternal health. We're talking about just cancer detection. You know, we get our, we we check for cancer once a year, once every two years. And, and we're grateful to be able to do that here. They're getting, you know, people in developing countries, especially women, they're lucky if they get checked once once in their lifetime. Right. And so it's, it's really comes down to access and in order to even get close to a level playing field where other developing countries can be checked. I mean, let's just you know, say it for how it is, even once every five years would be better, 10 years is better than once in a lifetime. Um, and so we just wanna give them the opportunity to do that. And, and for us, we want these countries to, to get to, to the level playing fields where, where we are. And also when you have healthy women you also have educated girls because the girls are able to go to school. And and from my perspective personally, it's those girls that are going to literally change all of our lives. They're going to be the Nobel prize winners. They're going to be the next game changers, the next entrepreneurs, the next next inventors. Um, And they're going to be helping their own communities too and their own countries that for things that we can't even imagine Um, you know, when I first started traveling, these these are things I never even thought about. Um, and, and when I talk about them, people just kind of are shocked to to say, you know, oh, they, they don't go for a a pap smear every year. What do you mean? No, they, they literally don't go ever in their whole lifetime. And so something that's so simple for us, which is a two minute procedure, um, you know, develops into debilitating and, and, and mortality, uh, related cancer. So yes. that that's kind of why we've chosen to, to do our work mainly in the developing world because it, it solely is about access. Um, and, and with access, you can, you can get closer to equity.
2: And even Marissa, it comes even to even so much more basic than that, right? Just even, you know, dental hygiene, you know, totally. Right. It just it's it's just non-existent. But my I also have a question for you, Marissa.
1: Well, all right, better be quick. We gotta wrap it it up. (laughs) It's
2: it's twofold. One is you've had a wonderful turnout on your call today. How can people that are are listening in, you know, what what can they take away if they so desired, you know, to get involved or to help? That's my first question. My second question is, you know, in your strategic, you know, vision moving forward how can this become quite contagious you know do you have any kind of you know um ideology set out you know to create ambassadors you know that that can help you you know and and almost build a succession plan for the people that are working with your equipment you know the technicians you know the educators the doctors there you know do you have any plans on what the future looks like for you
1: I mean, these are both of my two favorite questions. So and I didn't even see them, so that's even better. Um, you know, I mean, listen, like if people can, can help and, and reach out to me and reach out to our team um, at Um, We obviously are always, you know, as a, as a nonprofit, we're always raising capital, um, but we're also always looking for, um, in some of these corporations, in these hospitals, we're looking for partners. We're looking for partners who want to support what we do, but we're also want, you know, equipment partners or technology partners or logistics partners. Like we can't do this ourselves. And um, so that's, you know, that's one of the ways. Um, and then as far as ambassadors, yeah, we would like everybody to be an ambassador, um, ambassador to what we do, how we do it. Um, I, I don't want to be the only organization, you know, that's, that's working the way that we are. Um, and so, we want people who are in in companies really to like be our ambassadors internally and fight fight the fight fight with the corporations to say you know what this is important for us to focus on how can we help them do their job which makes us also look really great and so it's a, it's a double sided you know coin when when we talk about ambassadors so there's ambassadors within the con you know the companies there's ambassadors just kind of spreading what we do and. And it talks a lot about excess equipment, excess medical equipment. And there's, there's so much just general excess in this world. And so, you know, we, f- we fight it for women's health equity um, and women's health specifically. But, you know, you talk about climate change, you talk about, um, you know, excess CPGs, you talk like all of this, this is, these are just excess. So how do we repurpose this excess and get it to where it needs. And I'm not saying moving trash to somewhere else. Like that is absolutely not what we're talking about. Like how can we move things that are perfectly good here to somewhere else who needs them before they wind up in the trash. So it kind of talks to the circular economy. Like we don't need to throw it in the trash. Let's make it usable and repurpose it somewhere else. And then the topic of, you know, ambassadors in these, com- in these companies and countries that we work in. So we're always with them. We are, you know, constantly in contact, but we want that they create, like they realize that there's better ways to do this other than philanthropy. And uh, that's one of the reasons we changed from a, from a traditional nonprofit to a social enterprise is that there needs to be ownership in each of these clinics in each of these doctor offices in each of these hospitals in each of these um, government uh, areas that there has to be ownership internally to make the change. There's not a doctor in this world that doesn't wanna help people, there really isn't. And they need the equipment and and the materials and the supplies to do what they do best. But I think we need to um, help them get there and, and also help them have a voice. So when they know that they're making an impact, they're, they're able to talk about that, which then gives them a leg up. It's almost like an investor, you know, or, or a company that's with investors. Once you have some traction, you can fight for more. You can ask for more. And same thing with these, you know, these physicians. Once they've had some great traction, they can then go ask the government to say, hey, this is working. How about we do more of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a proof point, so. Thank you, that's a great question. Um, we are just so out of time because I can t- keep talking to you guys forever. Um, but what, uh, and of course there's fire engines going down my street, but I just wanted to ask you guys, you know, some final thoughts, some key takeaways, um, some calls to action um, for for anybody listening to this now live and are also in our recordings, you know, what can we, what can people do? I mean, Donna, you asked for mine, so I'm going to ask for all of yours. What What can people do? Like, what's the call to action for us to have health equity?
3: I'd say think bigger. Um, you know, this just this time that I've spent, you know, with with you over the course of the last few days and and this uh, webinar has really, you know, opened my eyes and expanded my horizons, if you will, to the idea of um, global health disparities with women, um, and and so that that's where it starts. You have to think a little bit outside of yourself and and your immediate surroundings and situations, and and and, and be intentional about that, and be intentional about uh, understanding what is happening in these other countries, and 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 be intentional about finding ways to To be in, to get involved. I mean, I you know I was, I mean you know I appreciate Andy for 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 reaching out to me, but I was very intentional about participating today because I wanted to learn more about this very specific topic. So um, it it starts with that intention of 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 wanting to know more. Great,
1: Mitzi, Donna.
4: So I'll start out with. Again, just uh, very selfishly, I'd like everybody who's listening to think about how they're going to take care of themselves first, because uh, we, as women, don't usually uh, do that very well, and if we don't, then we can't uh, take care of others. And especially during this pandemic, so many people have uh, not gotten their healthcare checks that we are, that we do have the have access to. Um, and so I would hope that people take advantage of that because there's a very big concern that we are going to see a lot of later stage cancers that have not been detected. Um, so, uh, and also the um, ACA is being um, expanded and that will increase access. And so to take advantage of that. And then once somebody takes care of themselves, start looking at opportunities to um, do more, and I'll echo what Stephanie says in terms of thinking bigger, and especially those entrepreneurs that are doing innovation um, to think about how their work could be translated um, to not just the United States but to other places um, or even less resourced places within the United States. And there are um, venture uh, groups that are looking at um, taking that kind of technology and translating them to more developing countries. And so I'm hoping that there will be more um, of those kinds of organizations as well.
2: And just very quick on closing,
4: um, Mitzi, you
2: said something that really resonates with me. And I always think of it as uh, being a passenger on an airplane. If the plane goes down, you have to put your oxygen on yourself first before you can take care of others. So maintaining our own health care, um, I think, is really critical. Uh, But for me, you know, um, with so many years, you know, in the CPG space, um, my advice is network, 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 right? Because there's usually always a person in arm's length that can connect you with somebody. And just being in procurement, I can assure you that when I walked into so many corporate offices, there was always a room that was filled with excess equipment. Somebody didn't get around to having it picked up and then the warranties wore off and they were like, like, you know what? We'll just we'll just get rid of it, and it was perfectly fine. Maybe two years old, maybe three years old, and it's the it's that you know network of you know reaching out to companies and procurement to say, what is your policy you know on equipment you know so looking at that with manufacturers or hospitals or you know healthcare facilities, um, I think you know you probably have a wonderful opportunity just with many people who just listened today to expand their network to you
1: that i will take because all of you know any any equipment that we can get uh you know that focuses on women's health uh, you know maternal health diabetes heart disease cancers affecting women like we will we will take it and literally save people's lives so uh donna don't worry we'll be networking um (laughs) thank you ladies so much thank you all for joining us as well um actually our next her talk is in april we do this as a as a monthly series and uh, we're gonna be discussing how the environment impacts healthcare around the world. One sec, uh, I didn't get that.
4: Could you try again? Oh, Was that me? Siri. That Siri might be Siri. Oh, oh, oh. I'm but so anyway. sorry.
1: No, that's okay. I was just gonna say uh, honoring <laughs> oh, <what>? Earth Day. <laughs> we're honoring Earth Day, so um, next month. So we're just gonna talk about how the environment impacts healthcare around the world. And I know that's a really important topic that everybody's really looking at. So. Um, I appreciate everybody who's been with us um, for you ladies on the phone. And thank you so much. We have so many great comments coming in. So uh, we're excited about it. And uh, I know we always get a ton of people listening. So um, so afterwards, because it's always so hard to
0: to tune in during the workday. So thank you. And uh, everybody have a great day.